that, that's kind of where I'm at on that. Uh, I think it's just, it's a, it's a joke. It looks cool. Um, you know, it might get you, you know, a little bit more likes on social media, but the people that are liking it are misinformed and uh, there's plenty other ways to, to train balance and functionality. Yeah, I just believe it's visually appealing and the people that are doing it are visually appealing. Appealing. So when you put those two t together, most people create credibility with that. And that's one of the worst things that you can do. That you're basing some, you think that someone looks the way they are because of that exercise they're doing on a ball. We are back. We are live. You ready to do this, buddy? Born ready, baby. We want to attack some some training myths. Last week, uh, we attacked nutritional myths, and I promise we're gonna get that episode up once I figure out a few things. Missing chip. Uh, the missing chip uh, theory, uh, but it was. I think it's a, just a great addition to what we were talking about nutrition. But some of the stuff we're seeing that we want to try to debunk or at least get people thinking about. Uh, when it comes to training. Yeah, we feel like there's some uh, nonsense out there that we kind of want to clear up the air a little bit. Yeah, uh, one, of the, one of the things that, that, that stands, uh, that, that I think about with stuff like this is that no matter how thin you slice it, there are always two sides, right? And a lot of these, what I believe are uh, the things that become popular, it's because it looks cool or in this day and age, social media makes it look cool. And sometimes it even makes sense, but no one's been able to uh, take a further look into these, uh, what, what we're calling myths. Yeah, something I can kind of, you know, uh, pick on that as well. Uh, something I was thinking about today is there's so much information out there that um, not only do you want to, you know, take that info with almost a grain of salt, but look at who's providing that info. Ooh, you that's know, good. if you, uh, I'm pretty big on mentors, but like I have a select few, right? I have, you know, between three and five, I can count, you know, on one hand. And I, you know, if they say it, like I'm more willing to adapt it as, um, you know, somewhat truthful because I've been with them for, you know, years now at this point. But yeah, just, you know, a good takeaway would be to, you know, uh, take a look at who's providing this info and determine if they're a credible source or not. Yeah, the joke I have with my best friend is whenever he makes a comment, I always say, cite your source. Because he, he makes up some stuff sometimes, and I think he does that just to kind of see how I'll react. So I always tell him, <laughs> bro, cite your source. Where yeah. did you get that from? Because right away I'll know whether it even has any substance whatsoever. Yeah, no, you got to be aware of that. Let's attack it. So we'll just go back and forth. We have uh, six that we came up pretty quickly that we know that are most common myths that we want to try to debunk or get people thinking about. Ultimately, we want people to go out there and, 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 and search this information because as soon as we tell them something, there is someone counter-arguing and vice versa. For every single thing on this earth, there's not someone else who's not creating a counter-argument towards. So ultimately, people have to do their homework. Yeah, they got to try it for themselves and see if it works and go from there. Let's do it. What's the first one you got? Uh, okay. Uh, where do I want to start? I got it. Uh, okay, lifting on a unstable surface is functional and increases your balance. So let's paint a little bit of a picture. You're walking through a corporate Globo gym, right? And then you see trainer Mike with his 65-year-old uh, client 
standing on top of a blue Bosu ball. Getting it. He's okay. getting it hard. That Sometimes they get a little bit more crazy and they turn the Bosu ball upside down. Oh, right? man. And they got this poor lady that struggled, you know, walking um, to the gym on an unstable surface thinking it's going to help provide her value by, you know, functional and increase her balance. You know, I call them circus acts, right? <laughs> what I just said before we got on the air was like, Hey, that type of training works if you're training for the circus, right? But um, nah, just like, you know, I can come at this a bunch of different ways. But one, you know, if you're trying to train for balance, there's so much uh, better options to do that than to get on something that's not stable. You know, some single leg movements, single leg, you know, RDLs or, you know, split squats, lunges, like anything you're doing unilaterally uh, will help with the balance, you know, um, argument. And then in regards to functional, like we define functional as something that transfers outside the gym into our everyday life, mm -hmm. right? Uh, when are you going to be on an unstable, you know, surface? Probably not often. 100%. So uh, that, that's kind of where I'm at on that. Uh, I think it's just, it's a, it's a joke. It looks cool. Um, you know, it might get you, you know, a little bit more likes on social media, but the people that are liking it are misinformed and uh, there's plenty other ways to to train balance and functionality. Yeah, I just believe it's visually appealing and the people that are doing it are visually appealing. appealing. So when you put those two together, most people create credibility with that. And that's one of the worst things that you can do. That you're basing some, you think that someone looks the way they are because of that exercise they're doing on a ball. Yep. And that is the worst thing that they're doing. If anything, they're doing that for likes and views. But that is not what got them fit. I can guarantee that did nothing for them. So what is the purpose, right? And does the ball meet that? 99.9%, .9 it does not meet the purpose of what they're trying to do it for. Yeah, no, a good takeaway would be uh, your time is much better spent on working on some basics, uh, you know, some basic functional movements, um, and stay away from all this fancy shit that looks appealing to the eye. 100%. So what you got, man? That, that myth is debunked. Uh, high rep snatching is bad for you. Uh, I've heard this comment for years. Mostly for the shoulder? To be for the shoulders specific. or that you you should not uh, associate, you should never attach snatching with high reps, right? And I never started snatching till I was in CrossFit. I had done some Olymp Olympic lifting movements in high school. We never touched the snatch, but the, the concept uh, was really interesting to me because I never started snatching to like CrossFit and I was doing it for years before this this conversation kept coming up over and over and over again and they basically were saying that the the that snatching wasn't meant for high reps and one of the arguments that I heard years ago that just made so much sense was that snatching is a tool right and that who uh, whoever created this snatch create it for an overall outcome, right? The snatch for snatch sake has no purpose, right? And so like, who says that you should only snatch one rep maxes? Who says that you should only do high rep snatches at all times? That's not what we're saying is we're saying that, that the barbell and the version of the snatch in which they use it 
is a tool, a medium to get them to the end goal, which for the sake that we use it, we use it for multiple purposes. At lower ranges, high reps, we use it for speed, power, and strength. At the higher reps, we're looking for volume, hypertrophy, uh, muscular uh, endurance. We're using it for those purposes. So in, in, in that sense, it makes sense that we should do high rep snatches if that's the goal of what we're doing. What I believe is that there has to be a balance, that I don't think you should do high rep snatches all the time and I don't think you should one be the purist who's you're an Olympic lifter and all you do is try to build up your one rep max snatch for load I think both of those those can the uh, those conversations are on a continuum of extreme right mm -hmm. and we should always be you know curling the, the line of variation of doing them both yeah uh, I don't think there's one movement out there that you should only do a certain amount of reps you know for, um, as an argument um, it all comes down to just moving well and you know once you understand the concept of your movement should be you know quality that should be the most important factor you can do it for higher reps a hundred percent people aren't getting hurt from high rep they're getting hurt from an experience bad movement patterns like um it's the same my, my analogy is that cars don't kill people the people behind the wheels do and the same reason for the snatch right oh like this is bad for your shoulders you're not doing it right it wasn't the high rep snatch it was your inability to understand the purpose and the goal of what you were doing and why you were doing it mm -hmm. doing to say i'm doing a cool workout all the time and doing hundreds of hundreds of snatches yeah that's going to hurt you sore will do hundreds of hundreds of bench presses doing a hundreds and hundreds of pull-ups they're all going to hurt you because your training makes no sense yeah no yeah no i like that one what you got uh, so myth debunked number three number three coming at you you shouldn't squat below parallel oh that's my favorite um i, I think the biggest argument against that you should uh you know obviously in crossfit that's the standard for us right we don't really count a squat unless the um, hips travel below the knees, right? So everyone on the outside worlds, their argument is like, uh, if your client or athlete doesn't have the proper technique, this, this is another technique thing, just like the snatch, or adequate mobility, then they should not be squatting below parallel. Okay, so my counter argument would be, okay, now firsthand, I know for a fact I'm not going to load someone with poor mobility up with a 300-pound barbell, right? 100%. We're going to eliminate all the barbell, any even weight, and go, hey, let's try to master the air squat, completely safe, but hey, we're going to keep the standard of our squat, which is below parallel. Yeah, and I think what people don't respect is that when we talk about function, it's the purest, most functional movement we have to everyday life. And that the moment that you lose the function to squat is the moment you lose the function to live, squatting, getting up and down chairs, popping yourself off the toilet. Uh, it be, it, it, you lose that and so what we're saying is we are trying to develop the squat to the nth degree and for each individual uh, we know that there's a level but the we never compromise on range of motion if we don't have to yeah exactly and so I, I just think it's a dangerous argument I think the counter argument is even worse that staying above parallel is even worse for you 
right? Because of the strain you constantly keep on your knees, staying above parallel, uh, you, you end up adding more weight than you would ever be able to below parallel because you're that right, that quarter mm-hmm. squat gang mentality. And I think it does more harm not to drop below parallel than it does to stay above parallel. And if that's if, if that becomes your end goal. Yeah, if you're staying away from squats altogether, eventually you're gonna, you know, run into low back problems. Um, yeah, what do you think's worse? You know, sitting around for six hours in a desk or squatting below parallel on an air squat, right? Um, and in regards to like the sport argument, like it depends what kind of sport you participate in. You know, I haven't really done much research on, you know, the the people that are argument that are arguing about, you know, stay, uh, you know, at parallel. So I just don't see the benefits of that, you know, changing based on your specific sport. I agree. And I think there's but there's just so much power that comes the opportunity for power strength that comes through squatting that it just doesn't make sense that everyone should start there as a basis for lower body extremity strength. Like why go to machine? Why only stick to unilateral work? You know, like there's so much opportunity for growth on that movement that it would be silly not to use that form if not the derivative of those forms in in, in squatting and that starts below parallel like that is where we start everything at when it comes for lower body pushing strength yeah no uh that's got to be a requirement on your fitness is squatting below parallel don't be afraid of it it is not bad for you not bad for your knees um if you feel any, you know, restrictions mobility-wise, you know, keep it as an air squat for now until you restore that motion. Love it. So, myth debunked. debunked. Next one. Uh, girls that lift too much weight get bulky. Oh, man. You hear this one all the time. I get this all the times with prospects, right? Because we are a weightlifting dominant type program, right? Like, mm-hmm. we do complement with body weight training, but... There's weightlifting every day, if not every other day, or every other day, if not every day. And so that we want to get them comfortable with weights, right? You know, there's a minimum weight we have here. Like you gotta be able to at least do the minimum. And so what I've understand about bulkiness, not like, you know, 6% body fat and still bulky as hell, like some of the, you know, the roided up, uh, bodybuilders that's not what i'm talking about i'm talking about the general premise that most people have that what bulkiness looks like for me bulkiness is a combination factor of someone developing strength without losing body fat and so what you do is you get an increased volume size and that's what most people mistake as bulky but that's not what to me like we can uh, argue semantics, but to me, that's someone who's building strength but it's not losing body fat. You want to call that bulky or not? I call bulky for me. Real bulkiness comes through what what I see at six percent body fat, Mr. Olympia. Right, mm-hmm. the dudes are bulky, right? Yeah. They're thick. That's what I think about. But the fear that most people have when they come in here is that they're going to get like the girls that by building strength without losing body fat, they don't fit in their pants anymore, or that their shoulders become too broad. What I want them to understand that we can create a really good muscular look if we can keep the lean, uh, a, a lean, lean body and, mass, and right? In their, in their soul. And so that's what we wanna do. If someone does not change their body fat and they get stronger, they're gonna get that fear, they're gonna get that, that big volume look. Mm-hmm. And that's what, to me, is what they, uh, want to stay away w- with when they talk about not wanting to get bulky, not lifting the weights, because they never uh, 
they run away from the real issue, which is I need to lose body fat, not really concerned about not touching the weights. Yeah, uh, the only way you would ever get bulky as a female lifting weights is A, if you took, you know, steroids, all right? B, like, you become obsessed with eating in a calorie surplus and you're eating and eating and eating and eating and your goal is to gain, you know, size and, um, and weight, you know? But if your goal is, you know, to tone up, lean down, however you want to call it, um, you're not going to be eating that much. You're going to be eating enough to support your goals, which is to, you know, lean, tone up. Yeah. And it's not about strength will not get you bulky when your body fat is appropriate. For example, Tia Terklumi, uh, Tumi won the CrossFit Games. She deadlifted over 400 pounds mm-hmm. and she was one of the most lean women there. And she looked great. And that's because she has an appropriate strength to body weight ratio. That's why she's able to lift as heavy as she does and look so lean. And so what I want people to understand is that you are going to look thick if you are building strength and not losing body fat. And you know, when when we do someone's body fat, Brett, we show them the chart, right? And we say, listen, you wanna look like that? I know what that look like that look is in a percentage of body fat mm-hmm. right that you can't have that eight pack that you want with your current body fat there's no image here of a guy with an eight pack at 40 percent body fat so let, let's understand that the leanness will occur at a certain body fat and i don't care how much you're lifting or not lifting it and so it's important to get them to understand that we can get them to look even better if we get them to lift weights yeah no i love it myth debunked, debunked baby uh all right so my last one i got Long duration stretching before a workout is bad for you. Um, now, I was kind of you know reading an article about this. Um, some say that the longer duration stretching can have effects in regards to performance, right? And I feel like this kind of can be based on the type of individual that is doing the movement. Now, if you have someone that has a severe amount of mobility issues, right, um, and they want to stretch, uh, before they work out. Now the benefits to them, as opposed to someone that has adequate mobility, they might not need to spend as much time doing these long-term stretching um, before a workout. Okay, you and I talk about this all the time. The the points of a good warm-up is what to increase the heart rate, right, and to move through every joint. Body, now, yep. yep. Now, the time duration on you know the the moving through every joint can vary based on person to person but you know i'm just trying to get at is there could be a benefit for the person that needs it a little bit more by spending a little bit more time with longer um duration holds and stretches before going to the workout opposed to someone that might not need it as opposed to black and white hey long duration stretching is bad for you before a workout no and i don't think you know, there's conclusive evidence to show that. Um, I think that for someone who is that restricted, something is better than nothing. And holding those long stretches is probably the best thing for them. I mean, to me, sitting in a squat for five minutes is long duration stretching. And we do that all the time. We want to get their joints and muscles ready. And what better way to get them than to push their ranges of motion and muscle length to the nth degree like that just makes sense to me now if you want to use a medium between the two go ahead go to long duration hit that same muscle group with a little dynamic and then go in a specific movement right so example i want to prepare the back squat today 
my hamstrings feel really tight. I'm gonna sit in a straight leg stretch for two to three minutes. I'm not gonna move, I'm not gonna do anything. It's old school static stretching. Then right before that, I'm gonna cross the gym and I'm just gonna hit some straight legs, 20, 30 reps. And then from there, I'm gonna do air squats. And right after the air squats, I'm gonna take the bar and start back squatting. There I go. So that could be a protocol, but to say that you can't long stretch before training is silly. Yeah, man. yeah, the benefit of you stretching out your hamstrings for three minutes are far gonna you know, outweigh not doing that if your hamstrings are tight as hell. You know? 100%. If, you, if that's gonna loosen you up more than just doing the, you know, high kicks you talked about, then then do it. You know, it's obviously gonna increase your performance because you're gonna feel better and you will be moving, you know, more sound. And most people, to me, it, they use that as an excuse not to stretch because I can guarantee you if they're not doing it on the first three minutes of the workout, they're not they ain't do doing it, it in yeah. the last. They're not, they're not. And so for me, it's an excuse. But ultimately, what we found with stretching, to me and my own experience, is it takes a, I can, the exponential growth and strength, but it takes a damn really long time to get people to move their range uh, to improve their range of motion and so for that reason alone it's why most people quit they don't see a tangible result immediately that they just give up right or that they can get away with their athleticism but eventually if they don't start stretching they're in big trouble long term yeah no i agree 100 percent. myth debunked cool hey listen last one uh this is one you and i were just uh we were joking about uh, because of a comment you got uh, a few weeks ago, um, someone judging you on using a weight belt. Um, and so basically, the com the the comment the myth is that you should not use a weight belt when training because it doesn't uh, it doesn't help protect your low back or it doesn't help strengthen your low back. Excuse me. And so it's a myth, right? Oh yeah, hundred and ten percent. 110 percent uh the the homeboy's argument was uh you're not going to teach yourself how to brace and you know teach yourself core stability properly by using the weight belt i argue the opposite i believe that the belt that it serves two purpose one for beginners uh it serves a tactile cue it allows me to take pressure in my abdominals and feel a uh, opposing force against when I brace through the belly. I can feel the pressure of the belt into my belly button and allows me to push into and draw more intra-abdominal pressure than I would without it. Now experts, uh, people that have uh, professional experience with, they can do this automatically without having to think about it. Beginners who can't feel that pressure created in their midline, it takes them a lot more work. So what better way than to uh, to uh, speed up that process than allowing them to go uh, lighter loads with a belt to feel that pressure. Not because their backs are weak, but because we want to build it up. Yeah, that's based on um, just the awareness on how to use the belt properly, right? And that's up to us as coaches to say, hey, this is the reason why you have a belt on. Push into this belt to create stability that you feel to increase performance. Now, by any means, putting on a belt because you have a back injury, you know, or um, putting on a belt and you know the the core the tightness in your core can go to shit because you have a belt on and you're just gonna rely on that 
that's not why we're wearing it. Right. You know, and it, it's up to us and the athlete to, you know, be aware on, hey, this is why you have this on. This is why you should use it. This is the proper way to use it. Right. And and I think there could be a protocol used. I like, listen, like I said, I'm, I'm not an extremist. I always take the middle ground. I don't think you should always wear a weight belt and I don't think you should never not use a weight belt. And so what's the middle ground for me is I think every individual, especially working up to 80 to 90% of one rep maxes should always wear a weight belt when they're testing out because Agreed. you you start to reach that high end curve of uh, of pressure onto those spinal discs. So that's when you really need it. Or So for me, I know over 300 pounds, no matter what the weight is on the back squat, I'm putting the weight belt on. I don't care what people say. I feel stronger, I feel more protected with it. Now, if I'm doing, and but I might also, uh, the crazy CrossFit workout once was like 50 back squats at body weight. Mm-hmm. I put the weight belt on halfway through right because i felt like my midline was going it wasn't 80 percent of my one rep max but it meant a different degree because of the volume so people need, really just need to understand the purpose of it and and use it with discretion yeah and you don't want to use it as a crutch obviously um you know and that's with any piece of equipment not even just you know the weight belt you know i i got someone in group class that always wear these little grips right they're called Preach it. like these versa grips right and all the stuff we were doing for pulling strength week, I mean, he, he couldn't take them off, you know? And then it'd slow him down on the workout. He'd have to wrap the bar, like the pull a bar around, it's slowing him down. And it was clear that he was relying on this, right? Wow. So I'm like, hey man, let's, you know, uh, I'm starting to notice we're kind of developing this as a crutch, man. Like, and dude, since day one, he came in with a Mon, right? right so it's right. not something he adapted here, but I'm like, Let's, you know, try to start training without them, man. I'm not going to say, hey, never put them on again, but like, hey, maybe some workouts use them, some workouts don't. If you're doing a heavy, heavy deadlift and you want to strap them on, go ahead. But if you're warming up with empty barbell and you're going to wrap your grips around this empty barbell, uh, it's now a crutch, right? And uh, you just got to have that balance on, on using equipment, you know, properly, but it shouldn't be relied upon. Ever. It's the reason why we don't have chalk here. Bro, I saw a lady use chalk for a medicine ball clean one time, and I said, "They, they, that's ridiculous. They just don't get it, mm-hmm. right?" And a lot of people, like most of the people, have never used chalk until they come into CrossFit, and then two or three years down the road, there's not nothing that they're not using chalk with. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to get to the real issue: Does chalk serve a purpose? Definitely. At what purpose does it serve? Is discretionary per the individual. When are the the same issue, the tool of the overhand underhand. Yep. We see people with an empty barbell going that underhand overhand, right? Me, so, does the overhand underhand serve a purpose? A hundred percent. Yeah. But when do we use it with discretion? And that goes from the weight belt to all these other conversations. Because really, the argument is not about the weight belt or underhand overhand. Is do you understand what the role serves and and for you when you should and should not use it? Yeah. No. Uh, you know, a good middle ground is it'd be safe to say to use gear more when um you're getting close to that one rep maxes or even around that or in competition you know high high intensity full exertion going to the max where that that gear is definitely going to elevate your performance 100 percent. but i i try personally i try not to train with it until like a, I'm getting super, super heavy. Like my warm-up sets of anything, I'm not wearing it. But you want to know why I do it more than anything? It creates the most uncomfortable experience ever without it, right? Mm-hmm. So when I do use it, 
dude, it elevates oh, yeah, my game. Elevates your performance. Elevates yep. it. Where them, they don't have the elevated performance unless they use it. My performance is already elevated and I want to increase it by one to 5%, then I go use the gear. Mm -hmm. But we're, people are chasing it backwards. What's my favorite quote of all time is don't have a $100 pair of shoes in a 10 cent squat, right? Like the shoes aren't going to save your squat mm -hmm. and neither is the belt, neither is the chalk, neither is the overhand, underhand. They have to use this stuff with discretion. Cool, man. I think that was an awesome one to, to uh, conclude it. Thanks, man. We appreciate you guys. I swear we'll get this other episode up. We appreciate it. Uh, and uh, we'll talk soon, man. Keep tuning in. Peace. Peace.